This message was recorded at the Redeemed Christian Church of God Salvation Center, where we're maximizing potential and fulfilling destiny. We pray you'll be blessed as you listen to the following message. Honor you. We honor you. We adore you. Daddy, besides you, there is none else. You are faithful. You are good. You are kind. Daddy, we appreciate you. As we look into your word of life this morning, Jehovah, please speak to us. Uh, open our eyes of understanding that we may see mysteries in the name of Jesus. Let your light shine through our lives. Let it shine through every dark area, dark spots of our lives that we may behold Christ clearly in the name of Jesus. Thank you, blessed Redeemer. In Jesus' mighty name, I have prayed. Amen. Amen. So there, there's been so many talk, uh, and I still get questions, and people are still seeking audience to talk to me. And uh, I, I feel a need to just say this this morning, to reinforce everything else that we have said uh, about the current uh, situation in our country, the United States of America. And I want to state categorically that personally and as a church, uh, we, we denounce the, the death of George Floyd, the way he was killed, and many others that have been in similar situation. It is despicable, it's unconscionable, unconscionable, it's deplorable. I mean, find any adjective you like to to clarify it, it is. It's a, terrible, it's a terrible thing that has happened. And our, our hearts and our thoughts, our prayers, goes out to the families of all those that have been impacted by this. We're praying for them. And we're praying that God, the God of all comfort, will comfort them. I think that's uh, the, the, the most we can do at this time while we encourage dialogue. We encourage conversation. One of the things that I have seen over the years, and I think we have to be mindful of this, so that we don't become the people that we are criticizing. You know, when it gets to a point that people cannot disagree with you, if they disagree with you, then it turns to name calling. Then we have a problem. Exactly what we are criticizing is what we ourselves have now begun to do. So very important. I put something in my note here. Uh, as your pastor, as your spiritual leader, as your spiritual father, whatever I am to you, I want to give you three counsel. The counsel that I give to my own children and my biological children. First and foremost is this. The Bible says wisdom is profitable to direct. Can we agree on that? If you ever get pulled over by a police officer, or you get stopped by a police officer, there are some basic things, norms, that you must adhere to. When they pull you over, first and foremost, make sure your hands are visible where they can see it, on your steering wheel, and when they come, be cautious. Right? And be courteous too. Yes, officer, is there a reason why you stopped me? but your hands are on the wheels. Don't be aggressive. 
All right? That's the first thing. Be respectful. Pull over. Don't make sudden movements. Any sudden movements can be calculated to mean anything. It is what it is. People of God. Is it right? No. But it is what it is. You have to first of all protect yourself. Only the living can protest. Only the living. Only the living. So they pull you over. Keep your hands where they can see it. The truth of the matter is in any group of people there are bad actors. Even in the church we have bad actors. Jesus had 12 disciples. Sir. 12. Only 12. Not a thousand, not a million. He had 12 and one of them was the devil. So there are bad eggs. Don't let us begin to stereotype every police officer and put them in the same bucket. Now we are doing what we are protesting that they are doing to us. That they stereotype us because of skin color. Right? When we begin to put them all in the same bucket, we are doing exactly what we are protesting. And it is important that we don't become who we are saying we don't like. Praise the Lord. And the third thing I put there is, I said, let us continue to dialogue without name calling. We can agree to disagree what you're saying. I disagree with your point of view. Pretty speed of a deer. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. So, all the events, that things that are happening now has gotten me to really begin to think about what we have been doing as a church. Amen? Now, what God desires, Christ desires disciples, not church members. Amen? People that are grounded in the faith. And the way I want to start today, we're going to start a new series today that is going to take us through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to be looking at the epistles of John. And I start by saying today that the biblical context is lost on many of us 21st century believers. And what I've seen over the years is everybody is beginning to give the Bible its own meaning, their own meaning, and their own interpretation without context. Pastors, preachers, including myself, everybody says, this is the revelation God has given me. The question I have for us is, if we are receiving revelation by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is constant, it's not changing, and we are reading the same text, how come we are coming off with different conclusions? Something is wrong somewhere. And I can tell you fundamentally what is wrong. Every time you don't interpret a scripture contextually is a pretext for you to make it say anything you want it to say. So context is very important. And I want to start by saying the context of the time Jesus was here is very important for us to understand. When Jesus was on earth, the context of the New Testament as they began to do the things that Jesus did and why he did what he did, you need to understand the context of the time for you to know why he did and said what he did. Praise the Lord. There's a question I've asked a number of times. Very simple question. 
were there Pharisees and Sadducees in the Bible? Many people think that's a simple question to answer. So, oh, no, 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 they were the Levites of old. They were not. <laughs> they were not. They are not Levites. I'm going to give the answer, but I won't give the answer today. I want you to go do your research. I'll give the answer on Tuesday, Tuesday Bible study. The understanding of how the Pharisees and Sadducees and those groups, how they came about, will help you understand the New Testament. In fact, it will also help you understand why the Pharisees were the way they were. Why they built so much rituals around obeying the law. He will give you that, a good study of that will give you an understanding of that. But suffice to say very quickly here that at the time Jesus was here, the Jews, Israel or Palestine, was under Roman rule. Amen? They were being ruled by the Romans. They were a people oppressed and a people subjugated. They paid taxes to Caesar. That is why before the birth of Jesus, the Bible says Augustus decided that they must have a census. The whole meaning of a census is to know how many people should be paying taxes. Well, you know the number of the, the men, they don't count women, the number of the men, then you can extrapolate and say this is the number of people that are old enough and are supposed to be paying taxes. So the Bible tells us in Luke Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, at that time, the Roman emperor, the Caesar, was Augustus. And he decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. So Herod and uh, Pontius Pilate, those were the representatives of, of, of the Caesar in, in Palestine at the time. So they were people that were being more like sat upon. And in that time, when you do the research on Pharisees and Sadducees, you will understand why the Jews had such expectation of a Messiah. A Messiah that will come and free them from their oppression from the Romans. In fact, many of them believed that the, 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 the Messiah will be a political leader, somebody that will get engaged and then will be able to turn things around. Some of them believe that the Messiah will be a warrior, a warrior like David that will overthrow the Roman imperial rule, you know, so that the Jews can then begin to rule themselves by themselves, like in the days of old. When Jesus came <laughs> and he was saying, love those who hate you. They are like, what? And you are the Messiah? He said, pray for those who persecute. He said, what? What are you talking about? This is not the Messiah we were looking for. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 tells us that. Right? It says, it says love those that hate you. He said, huh? He said, uh, those that persecute you, pray for them. Excuse me? and you're supposed to be the Messiah, it was one of the reasons why those Jewish leaders and many of the Jews could not follow him. Why? Because it did not fit the mold of the Messiah that they were expecting. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the, 
the Pharisees sought to trip him up one time. They came to him and they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He said to them, he said, bring the coin. He said, flip it over. Whose picture is there? They said, Caesar. He said, give unto Caesar, uh, 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 Matthew 22, 21, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Amen? And give unto God what is God's. What's he saying? There's a clear distinction between my mission and the political things that you want me to do. Clear distinction. Clear separation. Give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. When Jesus started, he was very, very clear in his mission. You know, you... you, you what happens to us a lot of times is we love sand bites. You know, you just pick this here and you pick that there and you pick a little and pick a little and then you smash it together without contextually looking at the whole story. Listen to this. When Jesus finished his 40 days of fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, no food, nothing. The Bible says as he came out of the wilderness, he had one message and one message only. He said that repent. Matthew 4, Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, when you read through the gospels, Jesus made a reference to the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God 67 times. 67 times. You know what he's saying? He's saying my mission is not a reformation of the Roman Empire. My mission is to Build a new kingdom. I, I came to set a new order in place. I came to create a new kingdom. So he went about preaching. Repent. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. I present to you something totally different. Something new. Not the old made better. But a totally brand new kingdom. And he has called you and I into that kingdom. That is kingdom. When we gave our lives to Christ, we became a part of that kingdom. We became a part of that kingdom. And we shouldn't beat ourselves too hard <laughs> because even his disciples could not grasp it. He had to redirect them many times. Because they wanted him to go one way, he would then correct them. No, that is not why we are here. For example, when they came to arrest him, you see this in John 18 and Matthew 26. When they came to arrest him, John tells us that it was John himself that took the sword and chopped, uh, uh, Peter, that chopped off the guy's ears. What did Jesus do? He picked the ear, the ear and put it back. In Matthew 26, it speaks further. In Matthew 26, when you read 52 and 53, not only did he heal the man, he said to them, he said to his disciples, he said, look, if I need defense, I don't need you to pull sword to defend me. He said, I can ask my father, the old King James says, to send 12 legions of angels. The New Living Translation says thousands of angels. He said, if we need defense, I can summon the army of heaven to come and defend us. We don't need he said, those that live by the sword, they will die by the sword. He said, that's not what I have come to do here. I have come 
to show you the way to the Father. The message of Christ was simple. Repent. Why? The kingdom is come unto you. <laughs> you know, another example is uh, they went to a city in Samaria and they went, to, they, they went to preach to share the good news with them. But the people would not listen. When the people would not listen, James and John said to Jesus, he said, ah, these people, they won't listen to us. Let's call down fire and let them be consumed like in the days of Elijah. Jesus said, no. <laughs> Let's read it. Let's read it. Luke chapter 9, verse 54. Luke 9, 54. When James and John saw this, did this there is saying, when they saw that the people would not receive their message, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up as Elijah did? You know why they were so confident? Because if you read from the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus has sent them out, the disciples. And the Bible says the demons obeyed them. So now they realize, ah, we have power. Jesus, let's test our power on these people. Let's, let them, let's show them who we are. Let's show them what Jesus said. Mm -mm 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 -mm. That's not what we're about. That's not what we're about. You know, last Sunday, Pastor Joyce, as she was rounding up, she told us, she told us that Jesus said to the disciples, said there's many more things I want to tell you, but I can't tell you now because you're not ready for them. Those many other things that he needed to tell them that he couldn't tell them were the things the Holy Spirit revealed to the apostles and then they wrote in what we call the epistles today. Right? We have the book of Romans. We have uh, First and Second Corinthians. All of those were further revelation that the Holy Spirit gave to them that they penned down for our examples today. And that is why we're studying the epistles of John, of John, for us to get, gain some insight. So as we begin today, I also want to, if all I'm able to do today is set the stage, that will be fine. As we begin, I want you to also understand the setting of the epistle, the first John. By this time, this is like 60 years after the death of Christ. A lot of time had elapsed. In fact, Bible uh, historians, they tell us that John, the beloved, was the only apostle that died a natural death. He lived a very long life. Many people put his age when he died at, some people said 120 years. So, he lived very long. By the time he wrote this epistle, he himself was about 90 years old. He's an old man now. And the church is being transformed. The church is changing. By this time, the people is writing to were not the eyewitnesses. Many of them were not. Because it's like 60 years after the event. So all the apostles, many of them are dead by now. That is why when you read his introduction as he opened up the epistle, that is what he reminded them to affirm himself and to validate himself. So the church at this time is made up, made up of second and third generation Christians. So they themselves were beginning 
to form their own ideas and ideologies about what the church should be. Why? Because they did not work with the master. The brain, our brain is very smart. One of the things science has told us is that when you have gaps in knowledge, your brain will fill it up for you. You just, your brain will make up a story to fill the gap. And you will believe it. That, that is the truth. I praise the Lord. So this is the reason why John is writing to the church. To remind them and to redirect them that you guys are going off the deep end. You have started well. That's why Paul could write to the Galatians. That who bewitched you? You started well. You started by the spirit. How did you imagine that you're going to continue in the flesh? So the church at this time is not the church of those disciples that walked with Jesus, touched him, saw him, and felt him. It's a church of people like you and I today. They are reading by the stories. They are listening to the account of the eyewitnesses. And by this time, many of the eyewitnesses, if not all of them, at least the 12, they are dead. So John felt a need to write to the church to tell them, hey guys, you're going the wrong direction. You need light. You need illumination. You need revelation. You need understanding of the things that really happened because the interpretation you are giving it is not what exactly happened. So let's go back. Let's go and read now. We're going to read very quickly. Uh, first John. We read from chapter 1 and verse 1. First John chapter 1 from verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Whom, listen to this, whom we have heard and seen. That's validation. He's saying, look, the Jesus I'm telling you about is not a Jesus that was reported to me. It's a Jesus that I saw and I worked with. He said, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. It's the word of life. Let's continue reading. Verse 2. This is the one who is life itself. This is one who is life itself was revealed to us. And we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. What is he doing? He's telling them, guys, I'm not telling you fables. I'm not telling you stories pulled out of my hair. I'm telling you what we know, what we touched, what we handled, what we dealt with, what we walked with. What we worked with. So what is, is setting the stage, telling them that pay close attention to what I'm telling you because what I'm telling you is what we lived by experience. It's not the extrapolations that you guys are making. It is what we lived by experience. Verse 3. So listen to this now. 
He said, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. You see, this is like the second or third time is reiterating that. That what I'm telling you is what we have handled. This is not a reported story. This is what we have touched, what we have handled. He said, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard that you may, check this out now, have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Let's read verse 4 and then we'll unpack 3 and 4. He said, we are writing these things so that your joy, uh, so that you may fully share our joy. So let's go back to verse 3. Verse 3 is saying, he's saying, the reason, so that is, you can say, he's saying value. This is value. You know, <laughs> the value of what I'm doing is so that you can have fellowship with us. And not just with us, that the us there is with him and then with God the Father and God the Son. That your fellowship will be with us. And the word fellowship there is a word that many of us probably have had before, koinonia. Koinonia is not a superficial fellowship. Koinonia is not just we gather together, you know. We, we can call this a fellowship because we are all gathered together in the same place, right? We call it fellowship. In fact, someone described it as fellows on the same ship. Fellowship. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, but fellowship is a little beyond that. It's a little deeper than that. Fellowship is when we share when we participate in common, when we share things in common, the, the perfect example for our understanding of fellowship is, if you remember in the book of Acts, the Bible says they saw, everybody sold what they had and they brought it together and they had one purse in common. That is the deep meaning of fellowship. Where you can interact and participate. In fact, the word fellowship is an, is an action word. You're doing something actively. It's not a passive thing that I sit down and I'm hearing what the pastor is saying at this time. You are engaged. You are engaged. So what he's saying is that the reason I'm revealing this thing to you is so that you can interact with God the Father and interact with God the Son. So your fellowship is not just a sense knowledge. Your fellowship is a spiritual connection. It's kind of like the baby in the womb. Dr. Kemi knows this better than all of us. The baby in the womb is connected to the mother through the umbilical cord. They're having fellowship. There's active participation. There's a flow from the mother to the baby, and there's a flow back from the baby to the mother. That is what happens in fellowship. When it is one way, you are not actively participating. He said, the reason we are unpacking this for you is so that your fellowship can be genuine and for real. Listen to me. It is impossible for you and I to engage the Holy Spirit intimately like that and remain the same. One of the problems we have is church has become so superficial. 
so superficial. Everything, you know, we just sing, we dance, and then after service, we high five. No connection. Nothing. Nothing has happened. Everybody is just on their own, doing their own thing. Amen? No connection. But that is not the fellowship that has been talked about here. He's saying the reason I deem it fit and important to talk to you about these things is because we have to fellowship. 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 Let me give you an example here. And I know this will have happened to you before. During praise and worship, they sang the first song. I mean, you sang along, but uh, it was just okay. And then they sang the second song, mm, Hope Rising. And then by the time they sang the third song, you go, I surrender. You know what happened? You just engaged. Amen? You just connected. You just connected. All the songs that they have been doing before, they are good songs. It's just that you didn't enter the flow. You didn't enter the flow. And all of a sudden, they take a song and there's a connection in your spirit. And before you know what is happening, your, your reaction is spontaneous. Nobody said, everybody lift up your hands and let us worship the Lord. Nobody said that. In fact, in the whole sanctuary, nobody is lifting up any hand. You are the only one lifting hand and worshiping. Why? Because you found your connection. That is what happens when we engage in fellowship. This is not only when we come to church. When you are having your devotion at home, do you have such connection? Are you having true fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Amen. When you read the Bible, are you having connection? Is there connection? Is there connection? Are you having koinonia with the word? The scripture tells us, it said, he is the word of life. The main objective, what the apostle, remember, what is trying to tell this church as they begin to do their own thing apart from what the original intent is. He's correcting them. That your fellowship ought to be like this. You see, for us, when we read it the way we read it in English, the meaning is not as deep as it were for those that he was speaking their language to them. You know, if I were to, I don't speak Yoruba that well. I mean, I speak Yoruba decent, you know. <laughs> but for some people, there are some things I'm saying, if I were to say it in Yoruba language, they'll be going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why? Because they are able to connect. They are able to connect. You know, it's having a deeper meaning, deeper than the, all the grammar I'm talking to you right now. That is what happened to them back then. But for us, we read it, and as I say, so that your fellowship can be with us and the fellowship with the father and with the son. No. It has a deeper meaning than that. A deeper meaning. My prayer is that God will begin to pull us in deeper in the name of Jesus. That by his spirit it will open our eyes of understanding. Friends, one of, one of, the, one of the ways you study the Bible is when you pick the scripture to read as much as is possible, as much as lies within you, try to remove any preconceived notions 
that you had. So that God can truly speak to you. Because if you have preconceived notions, as you pick the Bible to read, everything you are reading, you are reading through a filter. Through a filter of what somebody has said to you, it ought to mean. Through a filter of what somebody has said is the real meaning. But when you pick it, pick it and read for yourself. The Holy Spirit that is within them, that spirit is within you. You want to have communion. You want to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And that is what the apostle is encouraging them here. Next week, we will continue and we will talk about the message. What's the message? Because all that we have said now was his preamble before he got into the message. In verse 5, he said, this is the message. This is the message. And that is what we'll be talking about next week. I want us to rise to our feet. Let's rise to our feet. And lift up both hands to heaven. Friends, I cannot help myself and neither can you. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God. The Holy Spirit is God with us. God with us now. is with us present now. Present in time. Present in moment. Present. It's present with us. Why don't you say, Oh, to Jesus, I surrender. Oh, to him I freely I will ever love and trust him in his presence. I surrender. I surrender. after me say Lord Jesus open my eyes of understanding I want to know you I want to know you more intimately I want to know you more deeply Holy Spirit reveal Christ to me in his entirety in the name of Jesus that I might have true fellowship true koinonia even with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Why don't you go ahead and pray that you will not be a superficial Christian. Oh, I will not be the one that is blown, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But rather I will be grounded in the truth in the name of Jesus. My understanding will be based upon your spirit and upon your word. In the name of Jesus, not tossed about by one revelation after another and just be going to and fro. But Lord, that I will be grounded in the truth. In the name of Jesus.
Jehovah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you praise and we honor you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We encourage you to fellowship with us here at Salvation Center if you are in the San Antonio area. For more information, visit our website at www.rccgsanantonio.org.